Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Okay, so now we're going to review. We're going to review praise. How many were here when I talked about praise a couple weeks ago? We went through all the Hebrew words for praise. Um, are y'all ready back there? We're, gonna, we're just going to pop them on the screen really quick. The first one is halal, which is where we get our word hallelujah. Halal means to praise, to shine, to boast, show, to rave, celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. Clamorous. Ha- halal. So hallelujah was taken from halal Yahweh. Halal Yah. Hallelujah. Okay, so halal. Number two is yada, which means to extend the hand, to throw out the hand, to worship with extended hands, to lift the hands. Uh, Tauda is another, it's an extension of the hand in adoration. Um, but I loved this. It's, it's a way of thanking God for things not yet received. I love so that. So beautiful. I love that. Tauda. Number four was Shabak which means to shout, to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. And so, you know, the beautiful thing, when we do these things in the house of the Lord, when we say shout to the Lord, there is power in your shout. It's power in your shout. When your heart is connected and your, your spirit is connected to your shout, there's power in it. Okay, number five, Barak is to kneel down, to bless God as an act of adoration. Barak, to kneel down. Uh, number six, zemar, uh, to pluck the strings of an instrument, to sing, to praise. It's a musical word which is involved with joyful expressions of music with musical instruments. Are you thankful for the musicians in this house? Yes. yes. I am. I am. Zemar. And then the se- number seven, the last one is tehila which means the singing of halals. Tehillah has to do with singing, to sing or to loud, perceived to involve music, especially singing hymns of the spirit or praise. Um, I was kind of doing a little research lately or recently on um, singing, actually when I was studying this. And, you know, there's this thing that exists, we're gonna talk about it in a minute, in the church, in the modern day church, where... Um, we have lost the concept of the priesthood of the believer where we are all bringing him something. And so we've, we've fallen into this, not, not here at Dwell Church, but um, across the board over the last 30 years, I would say, of, of performance. You know, the, those that are on the stage are, are singing, are playing, and oftentimes those in the congregation or probably a more appropriate word for that situation is those that are in the audience (laughs) are um, just watching and taking it in, right? And so we've lost this art of bringing our own song. So it it was like in the 1930s when the first recorded music was released. And when that happened, um, you know, it became, you know, became this thing of people you know, we buy an album and we listen to someone who is excellent sing or play. And so we begin to think our song or our voice isn't quite good enough and doesn't measure up. And so what, what happened through the decades, right, is that people begin to be silent and not sing out. Um, you know, uh, history says that mothers used to sing so that their children would know where they are. Like mamas would sing in the house, do it, you know, whatever, so that the babies would know where mama is. And so we have lost our song because we've become this culture of, you know, performance and let someone else do it. And so, um, but that is not how God designed his church. That is not the New Testament church. Um, we have all been given access and we are all priests and we all bring our sacrifice. Jesus is the high priest. But we all bring you know, our sacrifice. Sometimes we sometimes we gather in the room and we, it's it's. I don't need, think anybody says this, but it kind of takes on this spirit of I'm going to wait to see if they sing my favorite song to decide if I'm going to participate. 
Yes. That's true, too. We don't have to break that down. <laughs> That's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, because <laughs> we, don't, we don't pick songs for you. We're not looking for your favorite song. You're not the consumer. Oh, you, are you worshiping or saying hi? <laughs> <laughs> Yvonne said, amen. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about worship. You know, this idea of praise and worship, I, you know, for years it's like people go, what's the difference between praise and worship? And so you have, you know, all these worship leaders and people kind of bringing definition. Well, you know, praise is when we sing about him, when we talk about him to others. But worship is vertical. You know, worship is... Um, just to him, singing songs just to him. Um, so today we're going to talk about what worship is. Praise, according to these Hebrew words that we've looked at, has a lot to do with physical expression, right? Um, with our heart being connected to it. Bob Sorge says it's impossible to praise God quietly in your heart. <laughs> Praise calls for verbal expression. Praise calls for physical gesture, yes. physical expression. Yes. So that is praise. So then... Because we don't get to do it our way. Right. When we love the Lord... We don't get to do worship how we feel. Right. We get to worship how the Bible instructs us to right. worship. Right. We have to follow the plan. Yes. Because when we're in relationship, we have to find out what he likes what does God like? I'm going to bring him what he desires, what he, has, what he has laid out in scripture. I'm not just coming to him any way I want. Okay? I'm bringing an acceptable sacrifice. Okay. So today we're going to talk about three Hebrew words for worship that are found in scripture. Okay? Y'all ready for some more Hebrew? When Chris Palmer was here, he was teaching us Greek. Um, he's a lot smarter than me. Um, but we're going to talk about some Hebrew. First one is abad, abad. This term literally means to work, to work in any sense. But by implication, it means to serve, okay? Abad is a word for worship, and it means to serve. It's used more than 250 times in the Old Testament, most often translated as serve. So isn't it beautiful that everything, anything that we do to serve the Lord in, in the house of the Lord, in our homes, as we're, as we're uh, raising our families, as we're providing for our families, what, you know, it can all be done as unto the Lord. Abad, serving is an act of worship. worship. And, um, serve team, know that. Yes. Know so every, everyone who always hates on Martha in the Mary and Martha story, uh, Martha, serving is an act of worship. We just have to know when it's time to sit at his feet and when it's time to serve, right? Okay, abad, to serve. Okay, the next Hebrew word that I'm going to share is yer, yer, and it means to fear, to stand in awe of to reverence, honor, or respect, to fear, to stand in awe, to reverence, honor, or respect. I think in the body of Christ, in the church of Jesus Christ, across the board, especially in this Western culture where we live, we need a good, healthy dose of the fear of yes, the Lord. Yes, 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 yes. In this house, we, will, we stand in awe of him. We have the fear of the Lord. We know he is God and we are not. Yeah. Okay, and then the last word I'm going to share is the primary Hebrew word for worship. This is the primary, the main Hebrew word used for worship in the, uh, in the scripture. And it is shaka. Everybody say shaka. Shaka. And it means to press down or prostrate oneself in homage to God, to bow down, fall down flat, humbly beseech. It's a gesture indicating submission. And so we see this throughout um, uh, a lot in the Old Testament, um, shaka, to, to prostrate oneself, bow down, fall down, um, 
I, you know, nothing moves me more than when I see our 83-year-old Bishop Garlington here in the house whenever he's here, and he is flat on his face, on his belly before the Lord, prostrate uh, before the Lord. There is, um, there is power in these gestures, in these um, expressions, um, saying, God, I, I com- completely, I submit to you. I fall down flat before you. I humble myself. Um, I, I, I bow down in your presence. This is a gesture indicating submission. And the first time we see this word shaka uh, translated as worship in scripture is in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham offers Isaac. Um, so we're going to read that. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, do you want to read it? Sure, sure. This is, now listen, y'all, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today, okay? I told uh, David last night, I said, you know what? I'm so sick of this, like, we got to have preaching to entertain us. I'm like, we could just stand here and read the word of God in the house of God, and it would be enough. Okay, so we're reading a lot of scripture today. Genesis 22, starting Before at verse I read one. It, I almost, I want you to know that I exercised discipline. You did? I, I kept my mouth shut when you were using the word shaka. Uh-huh. Because I wanted to, I wanted <laughs> but to. But you're not now. I'm not now. I'm, <laughs> I'm just telling you what I almost did. I almost started making a shaka Khan reference. Shaka Khan. Let me rock a shaka Khan. Okay, shaka. All right. <laughs> All right, let's get sober. But We're about see, to talk about Abraham. I just want you to know that I held on to that and didn't share. <laughs> We're so glad you didn't share that. <laughs> After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I, I and the boy will go over there and worship. The first time the word is used in the Bible and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am. My here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham, okay, hear the prophetic implication here. God will provide himself a lamb. Understand the imagery. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, 
your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have obeyed my voice. That's the first time worship is mentioned in scripture. I'm going to read a few definitions of worship that I found this week as I was studying. First one is this. Worship is the believer's response of all that they are. Mind, emotions, will, body to what God is and says and does. That is worship. Another definition of worship by a man named William Temple says, Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. And all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all sin, self-centeredness. So, so when we gather all of these things up in adoration, which is the most selfless emotion, we offer it up to God. That is worship. The third definition I want to read says this, worship is the human response to the self-revelation of the triune God. The self-revelation of the triune God, that means God has revealed himself in scripture. He has told us who he is through scripture. So worship is the human response to the self-revelation of the triune God, which involves, number one, divine initiation in which God graciously reveals himself, his purposes and will. Number two, a spiritual and personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, enabled by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And number three, a response by the worshiper of joyful adoration, reverence, humility, submission, and obedience. Are you getting a picture of what worship is? <laughs> so, if praise is a physical and verbal expression to God, then worship is my life lining up with my praise. I'm going to say that again. If praise is a physical and verbal expression, then worship is my life and my heart lining up with my praise. Amen, Pastor Nicole. Amen. <laughs> it's alignment. It's not just what I say and what I do, but it's what my heart um, is meditating on. It's, and so um, it, it's what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is worship. It's not a few slow songs that we sing to Jesus while, it, while that's an offering that we bring to him on a Sunday or on a Wednesday, but that really is not the, the full picture of what worship is. It is our life. It's being a living sacrifice laid down. Worship is utter devotion. I've been obsessed with this word devotion lately. You know, God, I, I, I bring you my affection. I want to bring you my affection, but my affection is just not enough. I've got to bring you my devotion. So what does it mean to be devoted? It's, I love that song that we sing 
uh, the bridge that says, our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. He loves our affection, but man, our devotion. What does it mean to be devoted? A presence people is a devoted people. A presence people is a devoted people. This is what uh, Webster's Dictionary defines devotion as this, the act of prayer or private worship. A religious practice other than the regular corporate worship of a congregation. <laughs> the state of being ardently dedicated and loyal. So a devoted person does the same thing in private as they do in public. <laughs> a devoted person, we, we don't just worship God with the words of our mouth, although it's scriptural to bring him the fruit of our lips, um, but, but we worship him with our life day in, day out. Um, our actions, our decisions. And this is a process. Sanctification is a process. Sometimes we feel divided in our heart. Like, Lord, I want to be fully devoted, but I have these other things in my heart. God hears your prayer when you say, God, unite my heart. Give me an undivided heart. I want to be um, integrous. I want to be, I want to have a life marked with integrity, which means I am you know, I am in private who I am in public. Okay. Um, and you were, you were, ta we were talking last night and you was, you were using this, uh, example in our own marriage. We're devoted to yeah. one another. Right. And not just when we're together. Right. <laughs> but when we're apart as well. Yeah. Um, so as I was studying this week, I came across, um, a book, uh, by a scholar named Daniel Block. His book is called For the Glory of God, Recovering a Biblical Theology of Worship. And I loved that I found this because, like I said, this word devotion has been burning in my heart. And so um, in his book, he talks about the dimensions of devotion. Did you know there are dimensions of devotion? Okay. The first one the first level, uh, uh, or, you know, is worship from the heart and mind. Worship from the inner being. This is true worship. You know, Jesus had a conversation with the woman at the well about worship and, and about what true worship is, um, that, that we would worship. He's looking for those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And so worship from the heart and mind, from our inner being. So this is like, what do you think of when you, when you think of God? Do you have accurate imaginations of who God is? <laughs> do you even know who it is you're worshiping? He has revealed himself. I said it before. I'll say it again. He has revealed himself in scripture. Do we know the scripture? Or are we worshiping a God that we have made in our own image? We have to know who it is we're worshiping. God, I want to have an accurate imagination of who you are. When I close my eyes in worship and when I see you, when I think about your, who you are, your character, what comes to my mind? Do I have accurate imaginations of who God is? Otherwise, our idea of who God is is fictitious. It's not real, so we must know him. In his self-revelation, how and he is And if you don't revealed. read it for yourself, you'll never know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there is an earnestness in purity that God is looking for that comes from devotion to knowing who he is. Okay, that's worship from the heart and mind. Number two is worship involving the whole person. The whole person. Someone needs to silence their phone because your text message keeps going off. <laughs> um, tell tell the, the folks, hey, for us. Okay, number two, worshiping involving the whole person. It is true worship when the words of your mouth and your physical gestures or expressions of worship accurately reflect the meditation of your heart. Okay, 
It's true worship when the words of your mouth and your physical expression of worship accurately reflect the meditation of your heart. Um, The psalmist, uh, David put it this way in Psalm 19, verse 14. He said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In another Psalm, David said, Psalm 86, verse 11, he said, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. He said, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. This is that prayer we were talking about. It's not disingenuous to want to be something that you're not yet. Ask the Lord to purify and unite your heart. Lord, I'm so divided, but I don't want to be. I want my heart to be united to fear your name. Okay, and the third dimension of devotion is this, worshiping God with all of our resources, all of one's resources. This is the whole, our whole life as worship unto him. The entire life is worship. It is true worship to use what is in one's hands. This is our money, our skill set, our time. We use all of this to build the kingdom of God, to create the type yeah, of world yes. that the king desires. The stewardship of my money, my time, my skill will be in pursuit of advancing his kingdom, of building a world that he desires. That's the third dimension, my whole life as worship, all of my resources. Um, so I, I do you remember, who, who remembers being in geometry class when you learned about like congruent triangles? I did not do well in geometry. I was great in algebra, but I remember I got a C for the first time in geometry, and I was so sad about it. Um, but I do remember congru- the word congruent and congruent triangles. So this means um, they're exactly equal in shape and size. Exactly equal in shape and size. I want what I say and what I do and what is in my heart to align. I want to be congruent. I want to have integrity. My life, uh, the integrity is the quality or state of being complete or undivided. I heard um, Stephanie Gretzinger talking this week. Um, Tanner and Emily were able to go to the pastor's conference at Jesus Image in Orlando this week. And I know they were just, um, it was just such an incredible time. But I heard some clips of that this week. And Steph was talking about, she said, worship really is that we withhold nothing from him. Worship is withholding nothing from him. It is all things yielded, given over to him at all times, all things yielded, given over at all times. She said, um, that's, that's a heavy concept, but it is what is asked of us from the Lord. She, Stephanie shared a quote from her father's favorite author. Her, her father went to heaven a little over a year ago and she quoted his favorite author who said this, He said, Satan dines on whatever we withhold from the Lord. Satan dines on whatever we withhold from the Lord. The safest place we could be is in complete surrender, Uh, withholding nothing from him. That is the safest place that we can be. Jesus, God, Jesus, may we be a people who Jesus, withholds nothing Jesus, from you. Jesus, Jesus. May we give it all to you, all things yielded, given over things. all the time. Jesus. I just God. want to take a minute right there. We're just going to take a minute, and I want you to think about that thing right now. God, I, 
I want us just to take this moment to search our hearts. God, what have I not surrendered? What, what is this oh, thing Jesus, that, that, Jesus, um, that, that, the, that the enemy is dining on and he's having a heyday in my life because I have not completely surrendered it to you? God, right now in this moment, God, we say we surrender our hearts fully to you. We give you that thing we've been holding on to Jesus. and we say it is yours. Jesus. It is yours. We surrender Jesus. it to you. We withhold nothing. We withhold Jesus. nothing Jesus. from you. God, we want to be a living sacrifice. Our lives laid down on the altar, God. Completely given over. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this opportunity to surrender what you've been holding on to. Just go ahead and let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I want to share this. You know, our former pastor, Pastor Mike Hayes, used to say this. He was talking about wickedness and how a wick is like the, the wick of a candle. It's twisted. So wickedness is like mixture. And he said, there is a point at which your weakness, that sin that you struggle with, that habit that you struggle with, there is a point at which your weakness will become wickedness. When we continue to trample on the sacrifice of Jesus, saying, oh, his grace, you know, I'm, I'm not living under grace. I'm just going to continue in this habit. You, you, are, you are trampling on the sacrifice of Jesus. And, and I made a pretty bold post on social media as I was reading Hebrews um, this week. Um, God will not have it. I, I don't know um, if you realize that... Um, We do not trample on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying if you struggle with something and you continue to ask God. You know the Holy Spirit doesn't just um, uh, give us the gift of speaking in tongues. He gives us power to overcome and to live a holy life that pleases the Lord. And so when you come to the Lord and you say, God, I want, to, I want to be united in my heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give this thing over to you. Help me, Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is, is essential, important. It's, it's something that happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. But the word says you shall receive power. I, 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 you know how many people I've seen that speak in tongues who are mean? I would venture to say their tongues is maybe not the Holy Spirit, but might be an imitation. Power. Power. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31 says. So we surrender it to you, God, the thing that we struggle with that issue because Satan dines on whatever we withhold Whew. from the Lord. Okay. The last thing, um, we're going to talk about, I'm going to mention, well, it's not the last thing. I think I'm just going to say this. You should probably go ahead and delete that phone number. <laughs> End that relationship. You can do it right now. You can do it right now. You can take out your phone and you can eliminate the contact with the person. I'm sorry. Not sorry. Okay, we've got some more scripture to read, but the last thing we're going to talk about regarding worship is that, and I mentioned it earlier, we already talked about it briefly, is this, you are the only one who can offer up your worship. This is called the priesthood of the believer. You are a priest. Did you know that? Somebody say, I'm a priest. I am a priest. 
It is up to me to offer worship. No one else can offer up my worship for me. In fir- no one else. First Peter chapter two, verse five says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So priests minister to God first and then to people. So we have the picture, of course, in the Old Testament of the tabernacle of Moses, the tabernacle of David. Then we had the, the temple of Solomon. But, but there was a protocol and, and the tabernacle of Moses, you know, um, there was the holy place and then there was a most holy place. We're going to read about it in Hebrews chapter 9. If you have your Bible with you on your phone, in your hand, I want to encourage you to, to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. What page is that? Hebrews chapter nine, we're gonna read it in just a moment, just a moment, but I wanna give you time to get there. We're not gonna read it quite yet, but, um, but Hebrews chapter nine breaks this down so beautifully. Um, you know, there, there was one high priest who could go into the most holy place once a year and offer a sacrifice for the redemption of the sin of the people. And so as, as you know, I hope you know, if you're in this room, Jesus, of course, was our great high priest who offered, he was the high priest and he was the sacrifice. Jesus. So he offered up his life once for all that, that the redemption of sin would be taken care of once and for all. And, um, and so now he has given it, we have been given access into the most holy place because of the sacrifice of Jesus who has made a way for us. The veil of separation was torn. And we were given access into the most holy place. And we're going to read about that in a second. But I want to say this. In, we live in the age of consumeristic Christianity. People don't come to church thinking about what they are bringing to the Lord. People are coming to church going, what am I going to get out of this? How is the, is the, is the music really good? How's our children's program? Is he a really good preacher? Um, you know, what, what, is it cool? Do they have lights? Do they have an LED screen? This is how people in this age, in our Western culture, are coming as consumers not, not thinking about what am I bringing to the Lord? I'm a priest and I'm, what am I bringing to, his, uh, to, to him today? But they're thinking about what they're gonna get out of it. So this is what's happened. Our sanctuaries have become auditoriums. Our platforms have become stages. And our congregations have become audiences who stand and listen and Yelp review their church experience. That is a picture of the modern church in America today. Can I, can can I, this, this whole protocol about ministering to the Lord first. And then to people, we have this concept of people, uh, you know, I'll be late for worship, but I'll get there for the word. So what you're saying is, I'll, 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 I won't worry about God's part. I'll just get there in time for my part. Yeah. You hear all of that? Yes, I did. Uh, So we have got to break this mindset. And that's why I love that there are like these presence hubs, these presence places coming, built, you know, rising up all over um, that are saying, we are people of his presence. Jesus gets center stage in this house. This is his church and he is leading it. And so that is what Dwell Church is. And so in this house, words words are very important. Words are very important. And so in this house... This room right here that you're sitting in, that we're sitting in, this is not an auditorium. This is a sanctuary. This, this, this elevated place right here that we're see, seated on, that we stand on, and the musicians are here, and the singers sing, and the preacher preaches, this is not a stage. This is a platform. And you 
are not an audience. You are the congregation. You are priests before God, offering the sacrifice wow. of your praise to yes, your God. Yes, 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 yes. I'll never forget years ago when we were in Richmond, Virginia ministering. And this was probably in the early 2000s. And the pastor who we were, whom we were dear friends with spoke into our lives. And I think one of us, we had said maybe something referring to the congregation as the audience. And he, and he said in his office afterward, he said, I want to bring correction to you. This is not an audience. This is the congregation. And I've never forgotten that. So you are not an onlooker. You are not a consumer in this house. You are a priest in this house. Because if you're not bringing God something, we, we might as well just, you know, put a curtain up here. And the, the team that's up here leading is the only one bringing God a sacrifice. No, the veil is torn. You are a priest and you are bringing God something. Woo! Will you marry me? funny. Okay. So we're, I told you we're going to read a lot of scripture today. So y'all, we're going to read the entire chapter of Hebrews chapter nine. So get ready, turn on, be be alert, be in it. Don't let your mind wander. Okay. We're going to read from the ESV Hebrews chapter nine. This is a beautiful picture. Again, we're looking at what the old covenant was and what Jesus has done and the new covenant. Okay. You want to start? You want me to yeah, read? I'll start. I'll okay. start. Um, now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings Regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, yeah. that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by yeah. means of his own blood, yeah. thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. 
Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enter the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Yes, yes. Okay, we're going to move to to chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near and i've got two more scriptures we're going to skip over to hebrews chapter 12 chapter 12 verses 28 and 29 verses 28 and 29 of chapter 12 Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I'm going to read it one more time. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Kareem, why don't you come ahead to the keys? So, Father, here in this house, we want to bring worship that pleases you. We want to bring an acceptable sacrifice. We want to be, as Paul wrote, the living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual worship. Father, we never want to presume to do things our way. Let our agendas 
be thrown in the trash heap. May we discover through digging for ourselves into the word of God and know how to walk with fear, with obedience to your word and worship the way you call us to worship. Yes, yes, yes. To worship in spirit. Yes, yes, we are so grateful. This is the house that is uh, very uh, aware of worship by the spirit, but we also want to worship in truth. Let everything we do be found anchored in your word to worship you in spirit and truth. God, let the fire on the altar of our lives burn. Let it burn. Let it burn until all that is selfish, till all that is uh, personal. Let, 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 it, let, us, let us die to all that is self so that only what remains will be you, your purpose, your will, your agenda, your kingdom. Here's the thing about altars. We call this the altar. Some churches, they have those pieces of furniture and they call it an altar. But an altar is not an altar unless when you come, you leave something there. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.